Welcome to Veterans Connected, where maintenance and reliability expert and military veteran Eric Bevavino connects with fellow veterans in industry during each episode, where they exchange their experiences and discuss the transition from the military to industry and the paths and resources that led them to where they are today. The Veterans Connected podcast is proudly produced by the industry's leading network and learning community, Mobius Connect. Eric, over to you. Okay. Hi, I'm Eric Bevavino host of the Mobius Connect podcast focused on connecting military veterans to the maintenance and reliability community. My aim here is to bridge the understanding gap between the military and civilian worlds, improve the veteran transition journey, and leave none of our brothers and sisters out there struggling. We'll do this by interviewing veterans who have successfully made it through. For our inaugural session today, we've chosen to interview one such Army veteran, Tim Harmon whose fascinating and patriotic story is a must listen for anyone interested in joining us in this mission. Tim, welcome to the Mobius Veteran Connect podcast. How are you today, my friend? Doing great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, uh, it's a pleasure and, uh, and a privilege to be able to uh, talk with you today, especially for the uh, outreach to the veterans. I'm, I'm all 100% behind stuff like that. So Nice. Well, well, thanks. Why don't we start off by uh, you telling us a little bit about yourself? Like, what do you, what do you do today in uh, in your normal job? What do you like to do? And then we'll uh, kind of rewind it after that and go back to you, you know, your childhood and where you're from. But what do you sure. do today? What's your what's your role in in the workforce today? And and uh, what do you find interesting about that? Sure. So uh, I, I'm pretty excited to say that I'm coming up on one year of, uh, of a new opportunity that I took at the beginning of this year. Um, and uh, that is I'm working for um, Allied Reliability. Um, I am a, a senior uh, reliability consultant for those guys. Um, uh, basically, currently, um, all the different work streams that culminate to a uh, you know manufacturing best practice through asset management and um, you know, uptime and, uh, and and just making sure that um, the machines and the and, and the things are, are are in tip top shape and producing as they should. Um, but I have the opportunity to go to different industries um, and and help those guys um, implement best practices. And you know, interestingly enough, I get to use a lot of uh, skill sets across the broad spectrum uh, to help them come up with strategic and tactical plans that drive, uh, you know, machine uh, reliability. And, you know, in, in, the, in the best sense is uh, making sure that their equipment um, is performing as its intended use and producing as it should at the, uh, at the rates it's supposed to. And all, all that ties back to the big thing that we like to hear about, and that's money, right? Uh, saving money and making money. So, um, but I'm with Allied and I'm with their consulting and, uh, and training team. So I do a lot of mentorship and coaching uh, to um, site leadership, uh, reliability engineers, reliability managers, um, plant managers, and their staff, leadership staff, as well as shop floor personnel. And, uh, and, um, and work side by side with them, giving them uh, all the tools and the and the knowledge base. And of course, we have a plethora of a library of, uh, of things to pull from to, uh, to help those companies and give it to them and help, help them set it up and, and obviously help them uh, audit those things to make sure that they're, they're moving forward. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. Clearly, you don't just happen upon the job such as that. You have to have years of experience and uh, talent and leadership in maintenance and reliability. And we'll We'll get through that and go into that more deeply because I, I suspect everybody who's listened to this podcast will be quite interested in not only uh, what you've been doing in the civilian world, but what you also did in the military that helped you get to where you are today, Tim. So why don't, uh, why don't we start with that? Uh, where'd you grow up? What, you know, what was your life like growing up and what got you, what led you into joining the military? I think when we spoke last, you mentioned that your, uh, your dad was in, in the Navy like me. Yeah. He was there probably a few, a few years before <laughs> I was, but uh, yeah. Yeah. How did that look? What was Tim Harmon's early, early life like and what led you to the military? So, uh, so I, you're absolutely hundred percent spot on. I'm a, I'm a, uh, 
a Navy brat, as they would say, right? Um, I lived uh, around the world um, from Guam, uh, you know, my high school years to being born in San Diego to doing my elementary school years in, in Naples, Italy. So um, I've Very been cool. all over the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, I guess, I, you know, I've been really exposed to the military. I actually, I spent my, my entire childhood in the military, uh, per se, with my dad. Um, you know, being on and off ships, my dad was a submariner for 20 years. So uh, a fun fact is, is my dad would have watch. He was a, he was a chief um, and he was a quartermaster, a navigator. And I used to get to go and when we have watch, I'd go hang out on the submarine and, uh, of course, stuff myself uh, at the galley that has the best food, probably. And, you know, watch movies in the galley and hang out down there, do dependence cruises. I actually, when I was in the second grade, I drove a submarine on a, a dependence cruise. I got to get behind <laughs> the wheel and had a uh, had a young seaman there. And I got to do a, a down bubble, two, a two degree down bubble coming out of uh, the Thames River passing out Long Island Sound in Connecticut. So, um, yeah. So I, Fantastic I memories. Yeah. Yeah. We won't do, we won't uh, compare driving a nuclear powered submarine to, uh, <laughs> to kindergarten or anything like that, but you know, and, you know some, some things are easier than others. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it was awesome. a good experience. What a great but, memory. Yeah. yeah it's, it's been a great experience. I mean, it's, uh, I met a lot of people along the way. I've, uh, I've been exposed to a lot of, uh, you know, like you had mentioned earlier in on here is, uh, is, uh, you know, the leadership and the structure and the regiment. And, you know, of course, uh, any, any uh, military guy realizes that those are things you learn, especially if your parents are in it because they bring it home with them too, you know? So, um, but it's been a, it's been an experience, uh, to go to all these different places and experience the different cultures and, uh, pick up a lot of, uh, things along the way that actually I would say, um, when I put them side by side, because I have relatives that never left, you know, the the Cincinnati area, you know, um, <laughs> and they have friends and and do this. But, you know, it's uh, I think if I had that to choose from or, or the life that I lived so far, I, I, I think uh, without a doubt, I would have chose to go and experience all the things I have around the world for sure. Neat, neat. So all your schooling was in different countries around the world and then did you uh, go to college after after high school you go straight into the army or what was yeah. your path there yeah no I went straight in the army actually um, fun fact here about me is uh, my father um, told me a, a recruiter had called and and um, left a message at the house of course the old the old messages were it was on the box in the house, right? And, <laughs> right. Yeah. Small and, little cassette, yeah. Oh, yeah. And my dad said, uh, the, the recruiter called you, and you will call him back. And uh, obviously, my dad had done a couple of different times of being a recruiter himself. So uh, I called him back and happened to be the first guy, the Army guy, obviously. And I was uh, at the time when everybody took the ASVAB in high school. And, and I, I called him, and he said, hey, let's go to MEPS. Uh, let's just check out what the opportunities you have. And my dad said, you, you need to understand what the opportunities you, you have. And, and he, he gave me explicit instructions. And I think this was the first time I was defiant in his instructions, not by choice, but um, he told me, don't sign anything. <laughs> and, Good uh, advice. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think I, I think I forgot to listen to that part because I came home with a pink piece of paper and my signature on it Oh, that's and told my dad that I was going to be, uh, headed off to boot camp um, in, uh, in that summer. But, you know, at, in hindsight, um, again, I don't think I would have done anything different. I actually went off, uh, uh, with a couple guys from high school. And, um, so my, 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 uh, my career started, uh, there, I was in the delayed entry program and signed up in, uh, in December and in August, I was, uh, I was on my way getting my head shaved and doing the shakedown and, um, then went off to uh, my first duty station. And, uh, that's where I, um, I ended up my first duty station in Fort Lewis, Washington. It's interesting because I left Seattle MEPS and my first duty station was back at <laughs> Fort Lewis, uh, just down the street from where my folks live. So it was, it was kind of a, kind of a cool thing, but, um, my dad, wore his choker whites um, 
And I actually was fortunate that at MEPS, I went into a separate room and my father was a uh, chief warrant officer, uh, three, I think at the time. And uh, my father actually swore me into the army. Awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. The oath of enlistment. So for, you know, to bridge some of this uh, civilian military divide, I, I wrote down two acronyms that you mentioned, MEPS first. So if you wouldn't mind uh, describing what MEPS stands for, and then um, I, I think I can go into ASVAB after that. But yeah. what, what is MEPS? So I, I think, uh, well, I, I don't, I guess. Like your basic training? Um, MEPS is actually the uh, military entrance processing uh maybe a center or something like that, but it's actually where you go and do your, um, you, you go through the computers, you find out what you qualify for. Um, and, and they give you a list of jobs that you can take, uh, that are options. And, uh, and you do your initial physical, you know, stuff like that, that you take your ASVAB scores, your GT scores and so on. And, um, and that's all through the ASVAB side and they plug it in and just see what are, what options do you have? Really? That's what it is. It's a, uh, it's going there and saying, Hey, you know, um, you know, in the civilian world, I guess it would be, uh, you know, coming in and talking to a recruiter that's trying to hire you and say, Hey, look, I got a reliability engineer job, or I got a reliability manager's job, or I got a guy who needs help for materials management or something like that. But it's, um, you, you find out what you want to do and, uh, and they give you the list. And when you decide what it is, that's where they will actually tell you whether you can uh, sign the contract there or go think on it or whatever. You know, I think, I don't know, it was a long time ago when I, when I did this, but <laughs> I, think I, I think I had a fairly decent score where I could have been in the medical field. I could have been in field artillery, infantry. I could have been an aviation mechanic. So, um, all those different things, which is kind of interesting because if you do your homework before, hand and you you know um you're and, and you have good guidance i guess i would say from people who have been in uh, it can really bode a lot of good that you get something that can materialize into something post-military uh, time frame right so yeah well which is another reason for this this podcast right to make those connection i was just thinking while you were describing that i mean one of the reasons uh, I'm not as familiar with it as because I, I went in through the ROTC program at, at Penn State and, and basically you, know, you sort of you took a path and then you got to choose something, you know, towards the end. But I was just wondering, you know, if if the military has that from ASVAB to to from your ASVAB scores and your interest in, to put you into the right MOS for it, right into the, the army or your rating in the Navy it would stand a reason that there should be the, the opposite, you know, and coming out, right, and transitioning in the civilian world. And I saw just the other day, uh, one of my LinkedIn connections, the lady, and I, I don't remember her name, but I can put it in the show notes, had uh, a little bit of a translator for military skills into civilian skills that is online and, and automated yeah. now. So, so I think that's that's good, but uh, yeah, ASVAB is, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was <clears throat> it's amazing the amount of tools that are out there. That I think one of the challenges is, and we'll get back to uh, questions here in a second. But I think one of the challenges is that there are so many things for veterans transitioning out of the service. If you're in for four years, or if you're in for thirty years, that. Um, can potentially help. I think it's a little over, can be a little overwhelming and uh, perhaps is, is we could do with some streamlining. I'm not here to, to criticize it. We're just trying to help, but um, yeah. No, so, so, so I, anyway, okay. I think you touch an interesting point there because um, uh, the, the army has a thing called the army career and alumni program. It's called ACAP. And then when you're getting out of service, you go to ACAP and essentially what you're supposed to be doing there is doing just what you're talking about. Um, unfortunately, uh, the, the military doesn't always evolve at the same speed that the civilian market does. And so you get guys that are trying to transition out and uh, take a basic infantry guy, right? Um, he, he goes to the ACAP, but 
Um, I think there's a, a, a line where the people who are administering the ACAP process to get you transitioned to the civilian world, I don't think they actually truly understand what the capabilities are of the people that are sitting in the room and just how to get them into something that interests them or the to you're talking about the direct correlation or transitioning period lingo. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, in the civilian world, what I've noticed is, and I've, I've mentored a lot of college students and, um, you know, I had uh, during their internships and stuff. And I, I don't think that people um, take into note just the, 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 the dynamics of the military and the things that people learn and actually become second nature to them. And it doesn't have this clear black and white piece that comes into the, you know, this, this outside structured world. There's a lot of gray area in there, you know, and understanding how to take that gray area and move it into one of those pieces of the black or the white to put it in the, in the you know, to take all that ambiguity out of it is a, is a, is a really um, a crutch, I would say, for transitioning veterans, because I think they short themselves out on a lot of great opportunities because they just don't have a clear cut understanding of what that means outside. Yeah. And hopefully this podcast, this session in particular, and others can help uh, clear that up and make it, make it a little bit better over time as we, we try to help each other uh, through that, that process. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Tim, you uh, you went through maps, and then you you were stationed in um, in Washington, in yeah. Fort Lewis, and then where where did your army career take you after that? Um, so I I did uh, just under ten years on active duty, and so I did uh, Fort Lewis, and then I um, went to um, Fort Hood uh, down at Fort Hood. I uh, I deployed from Fort Hood to. Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, and then on to Haiti. Gitmo. Yeah, for the um, Joint Task Force during the coup d'etat of Ber- President Bertrand Aristide in Haiti. And that was in the mid-90s. So here I date myself a little bit. <laughs> um, and then uh, from there, I went to Germany. And um, from Germany, I immediately went to Croatia um, in then into Bosnia uh, during the former Republic of Yugoslavia time and the Slobodan Milosevic era. Um, got back to Germany and then actually came back to Fort Lewis. And um, that's where I actually exited the military and um, moved to Arizona to go to school. But I I, I took a hiatus to try to get some education under my belt and, uh, and then actually um, went back into the National Guard and finished up uh, another 10 years in the, in the National Guard. So. Oh, okay. So you did a reserve stint as well, Army National Guard, right? Yes. Yes, yep. I did. So I, Which I, I think, I, yeah. Go ahead. No so, I, no, so when I went back in there, I went to, uh, I was actually in uh, I, my first place I lived at outside of school was in uh, New Mexico. And, uh, we, we, you know, we can talk a little bit about how I, that kind of stemmed the whole reliability aspect of my transitioning and some of my uh, education. And I was in, uh, but I was in Bravo Company, went 200 light infantry there, and then uh, moved up to um, Ohio for work and, uh, and then moved into uh, an infantry unit up in the Ohio Guard. And, uh, and deployed overseas uh, with those guys as well. So, yeah, and then uh, finished it up in 2013, um, and uh, got out. Had to, had to, had my fill of the military, and it was time to focus on uh, uh, <laughs> looking for a better, a better uh, lifestyle without the the hustle and bu- not so much the hustle and bustle, but more of the uh, the gone and back where I was looking for some stability. I, I started a family and so on. So I have I have a son and so looking oh, fantastic. for fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So well that's a, a good long stand of service. So thank you um again thank you. for that. And yeah, so you uh, 
you went in and did you go over to Iraq or Af- Afghanistan with I was uh, in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. That was my last appointment was in Afghanistan. Um, I was there in uh, 2010, all of 2010. And that was, I was up in RC North in uh, a place called the Bodlam province um, out at uh, Fob Kiligai and uh, Kap Puzeshan. Um, and that was uh, north of the Selang Pass, just uh, just a little bit west of the Hindu Kush, right at the base of it, really. And um, did a lot of uh, fighting there. And um, and of course, we are, are went from bad to worse when they did the Kandahar Offensive because mm. all the insurgents had to go somewhere, and they a lot of them came up to our our uh, area of operation. So. Yeah. So, yeah, so tough times there, right? You guys were, you were gone a bunch and, and saw a lot of action. And then um, you, you mentioned before, so before we transition to maintenance and reliability and all that, any, any highlights that really stood out from, from your military career or any, any key, uh, key lessons uh, of leadership or anything like that that you, you pulled out that you'll never, never uh sort of drop along the on the on the trail um yeah you know uh i uh in the military there's a there's a very um adamant thing that i picked up that uh, so i learned i learned how to be a leader from my very first squad leader in fort hood actually and his name was staff sergeant lopez and i'm not sure whatever happened to him afterwards but it was one of those uh people who impacted you and and you paid really close attention because you wanted to emulate his leadership. And, uh, and he, and it was, it was, um, taking care of your people. Um, uh, you know, I, I believe it or not, I will, I guess the most impactful thing I can tell you is, is I was a non-commissioned officer in the United States army. And to this day, even in my civilian career, and at one point where I was a, a reliability manager of a significant size facility, uh, I always, tell my guys to read the NCO creed because it it is just as prevalent in this civilian world than it is in the military. I, 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 I don't know who wrote it. Uh, I know it was written a long time ago, but but to understand that the principles in there of being the backbone and you know accomplishing your duties and never keep and keeping your people informed and you know, people aren't going to have to do my work. Um, I'm going to do mine just fine so that everybody else has that ample time to do theirs and the teamwork and the esprit de corps. And, you know, um, it's just, uh, it's, you get that kind of dynamic flowing in, in the civilian world, even. Um, it's like a well-oiled machine, man. I, it's just, a, it's a powerful, powerful thing. No worse to live by. So we'll definitely put the NCO creed in, in the show notes here too as a great reference for anybody who's not familiar and uh for for any civilian folks that want to look it up and see uh, great words to live by i'm sure oh yeah staff sergeant lopez would be uh if if he's still around would be proud to to hear you reference him because uh you know uh, leaders have a lot of impact on on everybody that they touch and especially if they hone their craft and pay pay close attention to what they say and what they do and keeping it keeping it positive. I'm sure he had uh, some expletives that he could throw in there when he needed to move things around and, and get things. Yeah. So some of the biggest influences all my life have been Navy chiefs as well. So uh, fantastic. Oh, yeah. All right. So, so good. Thanks, uh, Tim. We're going to transition now into <laughs> what role did, maintenance and reliability play in your time in the service and how did that lead to your post-military employment? So it's such a great question too, because uh, I think it's uh, one of those spaces that people just don't give enough relevance to. And, um, you know, uh, every soldier that goes through basic training is an infantryman first, right? And, uh, and you're, you're only as, so there's a, there's a, there's a special dynamic in any military piece. And it's, there's a saying, right. And it's always, I got your six, I got your back. Right. Um, but if, if you're not prepared and your stuff, your, your gear isn't taken care of and things aren't dressed right dress, or, 
in order or you know you haven't do, done due diligence to make sure that everything is functioning properly uh, can you really can you really watch my six um, because when you're we all train even in a time of peace for war and in war uh, you have to be better than the other guy and if your gun doesn't fire when it's supposed to or you lose your canteen because it wasn't clipped to your gear properly or you had faulty clips or whatever the case may be or your vehicle dies when it should be running i mean those are all could be catastrophic and they could be game changers you know um i i took it really to heart especially in my younger years, because you always used to get mad at the arms room guy when you would turn your M16 in or your, you know, your, your rifle in uh, to the arms room and you spent six hours cleaning the rifle and inspecting it from top to bottom. And you always go, is this guy just trying to be a jerk? I mean, like (laughs) not let us get back to chow or, you know, whatever the case may be, but you know, there was a reason for it. And the reason was, is, you know, if you don't put a nice coat of lubricant on your, on your uh, bolt, it can rust. Um, if you, if you don't, uh, if you don't do, um, you know, proper preventive maintenance checks and services or PMCS on your vehicles, they don't run. And, uh, I, I took it really, uh, to heart. Um, you know, when, when I was overseas because, you know, we, we were going into battle and, um, you know, we, we didn't have a platoon of people. We were there as a, a essentially like a, a small group team. You know, um, we, we only had 10 guys out in the field, you know, and we're embedded with the Afghan national army and you're training these guys up you're practicing, you know, soft skills. And then you're, and you're rolling out of the wire and you spend a lot of time outside the wire and you're going on target packs or you're going on patrols and, and that's not the time that you want something to fail. So when you have the time to do good quality inspections and maintenance, uh, refit and recovery, um, you know, those, and and I guess I took it real personal because I didn't, I, I, I wanted to make sure that the guy to my right and my left knew that I had their back, but I also needed to have the warm fuzzy that the guy to my right and my left had my back, you know, because uh, yeah. we don't want to go home in a box. And, and this, the big part about it is, is you never know when something's going to happen. And, you know, it's, it's really, it really uh, became m- much more prevalent uh about how much you have to rely on things to work. And when they don't work, it's a big problem. So, but understanding that there's processes uh, that people have laid out there. I mean, it's just taking, I, I think the difference um, that, I, that I noticed a lot uh, was that, um, and this is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just take a second here and compare that military and that civilian piece, okay? And the, the dynamic that I wish a lot of the civilian world, because I spent most of my time in manufacturing, and what the key element is, is um, a lot of times companies become revenue-driven and everybody wants to make revenue. The difference is, is they're not understanding that you have to take the time for upkeep in order to continue to make the revenue, you know? And so the military I thought was interesting because they have no problem shutting things down to make sure they're right. You're not gonna have an aircraft carrier floating around in the middle of the ocean because they have no propulsion. You're not gonna have a guy jumping out of a plane who they didn't take the time to make sure that everything was right in the chute, you know? You're not gonna have a, 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 a guy catapulting off of an aircraft carrier and he's not sure if all the parts are on the plane. It just doesn't happen. We take the time. You make sure that the firing pins are right and that they're not rounded off. And you take, you break your weapons down and you change your oil regularly. And if it means that you kick your mission time back, 
because you got to get things right with your vehicle or your weapons or uh, whatever the case may be, you know, it's kind of like they do with NASA, right? They don't launch just because they said that they were going to launch today. If the weather is not right and the wind's not blowing the right direction, you kick it back. Um, and I think that's lost in the civilian market. And it's interesting because I, I hear a lot of the um, businesses say, you know, they really want to hire military guys. And I think one of the general frustrations for military guys that come in, especially in the reliability space is, why aren't we taking the time to do things right? Because the military guys are 100% used to being in, a, in an op tempo that is 100 miles an hour. They have no problem doing that during routine manufacturing practices. Hey, hey, we, we know we got to run. We're going to run as fast as we can, as hard as we can. But when we're done, there has to be a time where we got to go back in and get this stuff back up to a respectable level. And I think that's so lost. And uh, but the military teaches it so well, you know. Well, without a doubt, I think it it becomes second nature. And it's one of these unwritten things that you described before that uh, maintenance and reliability for you and for me coming from the Navy diving community, the hard hat diving and salvage community was so important because the, the diver at the end of the hose was counting on everybody else topside or the divers at the end of the hoses counting on everybody else topside to do what they needed to do, that the maintenance was done right. So they didn't have to worry about their breathing supply. You didn't have to worry if you got in your vehicle that things were going to fire up and you were getting going to be able to get where you're going to go and your weapons were going to fire the way they were supposed to fire when the bad guy showed up right so i think this is one of the second nature things that yeah both is is can be a frustration for transition but also is perhaps underappreciated um in in the civilian world because when you when you went through your basic training and your first assignments. And when I went through my, my ROTC and I went to service for fire officer school in Newport, Rhode Island, there was a whole class about maintenance. And, and once you got to the ship, you were doing your weeklies and your monthlies and your quarterlies and as required semi-annuals and all that type of stuff. And if the you know, I was, I was on a minesweeper, not to try, try to make comparisons of being in Afghanistan, but with, you know, 100 people on a minesweeper, if you had that in a reserve capacity, uh, if there was a fire in the engine room, you'd burn to the water line in about five minutes or less. So <laughs> it was really life and death. And when you get out into a manufacturing facility, it can be life and death if a hydrogen compressor explodes, right? I mean, or, you know, God forbid you have a what deep water horizon sort of disaster which mm. i suspect can be traced back to you know maintenance and reliability somewhere along the way but um it's it's something that most people i, I believe come out of the military with as as a part of their their service and it sounds like for you being on also being on sort of small unit missions that led you to the ability to go didn't you work for other companies where you went to like Central America or Mexico, and you started up programs there on your own, and you didn't need any supervision. You just kind of, kind of took that army philosophy into Latin America and and worked it for the corporate side too, right? Yeah, no, uh, you're 100 percent right. So I mean, like, there's an, uh, uh, I I can't even uh, put it into words. I mean, there's just a, an an exuberant amount of um, details that guys are learning in the military that are a hundred percent applicable in in the civilian world and even more so like you talked about with the maintenance and reliability aspect because the attention to details there right um these guys know that things have to be done and they need to be done right um you know there's a level of pride in their craftsmanship and their work and you know, um, and they're, and they're regimented. They're, they're used to these kinds of things to be, uh, perfect, uh, for, for, for pretty much how it was required. I mean, like I was telling you about the weapon into the arms room, it had to be perfect or it didn't get in there. Right. Um, 
So I, I yeah, and and I and I was I was a hundred percent able to master these soft skills. Guys do it all the time in the military. Um, you know, going through the leadership uh, development courses in the military teach you, you know, how to how to go in there and understand what the result is from good practices, right? Um, and I, I was fortunate enough to be able to take that into the civilian world, and I did. I, I worked. Um, I worked for Cooper Tire for a while, and I did go to Mexico, and I established a, an entire um, asset strategy through good best manufacturing practices, and through all of the different work streams in the in the reliability space, and started it from the ground up. In fact, we were you know, one of those places where you have to adapt and overcome. And, uh, and we, we built our own computerized maintenance management system using a Windows form because we had a great programmer. We seized on people's knowledge base and became very resourceful. And, uh, and, and of course, the, the beauty of it is, as you see it in the military, you see the results of your labor, right? Um, once you identify that and start to uh, show that through good metrics and through, um, you know, uptime or uh, asset availability or cost savings, you know, um, parts consumption, all of those things that dovetail into that, that best practice and that complete asset lifecycle strategy that people understand and they see the results, they see the fruits of their labor and they understand that you know, it's, it, it does work and it, and it does both great results and those great results in tune make life a lot easier. You know? Well, it gives you more pride, gives them and you more pride in your work, helps the morale, helps retention. Yeah. yeah all the, all the metrics are to go up in this virtuous cycle um, by, by doing the basics of, uh, and the soft skills. I mean, one of the things I'll never forget is, you know, take care of your people and they'll take care of you. Right. And and I think this is this is something that the civilian world could really um, do well by sort of bringing on. Right. Because there's there's a lot of words sometimes and not not enough action or genuine uh, genuine leadership out there. So, yeah. So when did when was your I mean, when you did the, the job for Cooper, I mean, what was that like mid career for you? Were you like in your. 30s or 40s or something like that it seems like a pretty big job for for um, the stage of the career you might have been in at the time yeah my, my civilian career progression was kind of a, a unique i guess is um in fact that when i got out of um school um in tucson uh, my first my first job out of there was with the pharmaceutical industry and okay um what, and, what drew you to that was it just a, a connection, a, a happenstance, or did you? Actually, actually, I think what it is is um, at young, uh, you know, in uh, coming into my thirties, because I, I I did you know a lot of years of active duty out front. I did my first couple years of school while I was in the service um, okay. through uh, University of Maryland college campuses, and um, and I think I, I you know just um, kind of like growing up, you know, uh, it, you, you grow into certain things and manufacturing was like I was drawn to manufacturing because it has a fast pace it I mean it is going it's 24 7 things are hopping you know where there's a lot of activity there's a lot of moving parts um, not necessarily on the machines per se but just the whole dynamic inside of a manufacturing facility you know there's just all these different pieces that got to come together for a final product and there's all these different hands in it and um, and I, I just found it really fascinating. And truth be told is, is um, I don't necessarily know that I found pharmaceuticals as fascinating as much as just the process of through manufacturing okay. how they're made. Um, I, I was there for a little while and then I, I, they moved me up to uh, Ohio. They're building a brand new uh, facility up there. And, uh, and of course, I was deploying overseas and stuff and I, I had a son. So uh, I looked for something that was a little bit uh, different. So I actually went into the steel industry from there. And, oh. uh, and, I, and, and I, I could tell you after going from the steel and into uh, tires and the rubber industry, um, those are the few that I worked in. 
I, I would take steel all day long. I just think it's such a, uh, just a fascinating, um, uh, process. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's just big stuff and it's like big gears and all that stuff. And, but when things break, I mean, they break, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and they do a lot of cap, you know, collateral damage when they do too. So I just found it really because it was so important. <clears throat> I mean, if you picture this, a piece of steel in a cold mill uh, being reduced through five stands running at about 55 miles an hour under cold, you know, cold reduction, which this stuff is hard, you know, when it, when it has a, what they call a cobble or a wreck, um, it, it's destructive. But that's why it's so, so important that, you know, they go through, and that's one of the places that I went where every Wednesday they shut the mill down and they were like, I'm checking this. You got, you got, you know, hydrostatic pressure running through lines at, you know, 17, 18,000 pounds at, and it's only moving 2.65 gallons per minute, but at the force, right? There's so, just- So I, I, yeah, I love the analogy because I mean, I, being in maintenance and reliability, both with a small consulting company, but also in lubricants for that line, I've been in steel mills. I've seen cobbles that look like uh, jungle gym, uh, Picasso jungle gym, right? Cause it's all like abstract all over the place and people die in, in manufacturing facilities like steel mills and chemical plants and, and other mm -hmm. places because it is dangerous. It's fast paced work. And I can see how that would, uh, that would make sense to a military mindset, right? To, to want to be involved in something like that because it matters that much more and you everybody's got each other six in in that yeah. scenario whether it's Those a hot strip mill or yep, yep people relying on you to do the right thing and and you know and i i could revert back to my military i i, I often do and i use it i mean i'm telling you what i've been out of the service since 2013 um i had you know uh, all those years under my belt and i go in today and we're talking almost 10 years later and I go in today and I still utilize those examples of the military that say, Hey, look, you know what? Um, as a leader, don't let them shortchange you in doing the right thing because in reliability, the right thing is everything. And, you know, um, and so, you know, as a leader, I say, Hey, I'll, I'll stave off the wolves. You go ahead and you make that, precision repair you need to make because I don't want to touch it again. I don't want to cost more money. I don't want to, you know, go back here and tear this thing apart to do it again. And, 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 and actually in the military, because they teach you to take the time to do things right, because you only want to do it once. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just it, it, almost to the simplicity of how many times do you want to clean the barracks once I only want to clean the barracks once. <laughs> right. so, it's a liberty restrictor, right? Right. Yeah. But I mean, but it, 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 you do it right the first time and everybody knows that we're, we're in good shape. We're, we're going to sail smooth. You know what I mean? There's, there's rewards when those happen because it may not be a reward where they're throwing you a pizza party, but there's a reward that they understand that you guys can hold your own. You're responsible enough to take care of your space. And we don't need to be, you know, in your hip pocket all the time, but it's the same way. So I, I, uh, I, I really enjoyed the steel industry because, um, you know, I, I had a guy over there. Uh, he never served a day in the military. Best mentor I ever had in the civilian world named Steve Rover. Um, he's just, a, he's still at AK Steel in Middletown, Ohio today. And uh, he, I, I, I stay in touch with him regularly because he always challenges me to, think outside the box. He always challenges me to go back and make sure that I'm equipped with the latest and greatest um, that's going on. So, uh, you know, I've, I've actually been able to develop myself even in the civilian world with guys that, um, that get it right. They, they, they get it. Um, well, and that's in, in the guys that get it like Steve, I think you mentioned, right. Are the ones that will keep feeding you because that's the other thing that, the, the military sort of imprints on you is getting okay you've accomplished this now what do you need to do to accomplish the next 
level or the next rank or the next certification. And it's this constant, you know, if you're not learning, you're not living. If you're not learning, you're not progressing, right? And and that in coming out uh, of the military into a civilian job where people may be saying, well, no, slow down, or, you know, what are you doing? You're, yeah. Nobody does it this way. Why, why are you... Why are you trying to get all this knowledge or, or trying to do this? It uh, it can be frustrating and um, it, it is helpful, I think, for folks to say, yeah, well, we want military members because they're disciplined, they show up and, you know, they're they have some leadership. But we, we're not sure what we're going to do with what we want. But just, man, you, you can't break us, right? I mean, you just just we've already been bent a few times and work hard. <laughs> just keep giving it to us and. We'll let you know if we get there, but uh, until we say, "Uncle, just keep uh, keep feeding us," right? So yeah, you're you're 100 right, and so I think um, you know, as as I've gotten into my civilian career, and I and I did, I had a, I, I foundationally the military had had plugged me into a mindset that allowed for a civilian progression. Uh, foundationally, the military. And, 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 and I think that going back to our original comment was, is I don't think we transition those, those core fundamental foundational things that we learn into this uh, understanding. That's a, it's, a, it's a foundation. It's not a pillar. It's a foundation that we can build on. And, and I think that's a, a, what you were just talking about a minute ago is I think they do come into the civilian world um, and if they make it into a transition into a, a good maintenance and reliability, whether it be manufacturing, whatever the case may be, um, you know, they lose their way of being that change agent for the good um, simply because, you know, there is a lot of, hey, why are you doing, you know, it's the, it's the good old system that still doesn't work, didn't work then, doesn't work now, but, you know, not open to the new and improved and, and I would, you know, and I would challenge a lot of businesses that, you know, harness what these guys know, um, utilize them in the capacity, uh, pay attention to how they're, how they're, you know, maneuvering in, in the ranks and in the place, pay attention to, you know, what they have to offer. I think it's just a, you kind of throw them into the wolves and you just kind of leave them there. And to your a minute ago, um, that's how we worked in the military. You have to set clear, defined stepping stones to make it to the next rank. I knew I had to score something on my PT test. I knew I had to shoot so well at the rifle range um, and qualification. But I also knew I had to take so many college courses, so many correspondence courses. You know, I had to do all these things because they all added up to points and I had to show that I was going to do these things in order to be competitive against my peers. Um, those are the driving forces that tell people to continue to progress, you know, uh, and, and it's, it's not just career enhancement, it's personal enhancement that actually pays back a thousand times what the investment was, you know, and, um, and, and we always had a thing in the military. So that non commissioned officer in the military every month. And I, I, I used to do this. I took this into my civilian world. So I was the reliability manager at Cooper tire in Tupelo, Mississippi, uh, at their facility here. And I had, you know, um, uh, several, several people, plenty of direct reports and and what I used to do with those guys is I used to take back, I had the NCO creed on my wall, tell people, hey, you guys can read it at will, take a copy, whatever. But the other thing I always did is I always had once a month, I would buy lunch. And I told these guys, this is a professional development hour. So NCOs in the military, <coughs> excuse me, have what they call NCOPD, non-commissioned officer professional development. Mm -hmm. You can do an hour, half a day, whole day, whatever you want to do. And I'd either bring in a vendor or I would tell one of those guys that on my team who has extensive knowledge and something that other, other rest of us might not. And he does a presentation and talks and opens up the forum to allow people to engage this person who has information to offer. It's no different. So I presented at the, uh, at the 2019 
uh, SMRP conference, I presented um, uh, up there in Louisville, uh, Kentucky, uh, and uh, I co-authored a paper and, and co-presented with uh, Bobby Allen. And um, he's a he's a former command sergeant major in the Marine Corps. So, okay, all and, right, uh, yeah. So, uh, so it was interesting because it was uh, the same type of thing. Even though you're presenting to that group, there's a very close group that comes in after the fact that wants to have uh, a dialogue or forum. They find you when you're sitting down to have lunch, or they see you on the exhibit floor and you know you get these pockets of people and you could be there for an hour and you're just helping people learn more about that one pillar that they may not be a hundred percent you know bought or not i won't say bought in but a hundred percent understood yeah up to speed yeah sure sure. what's what's squared away yeah What's the yeah. roadmap? What what where do you go for this? Where's some of your 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 knowledge that you grab it for, whatever the case may be there? And and it and it's uh it's it's profound. It's um it's uh you know it's a mover and in, in any business or industry, um, you know, increasing the capacity from a knowledge-based perspective of the people, especially veterans especially prior service guys. And I'm not here to tell you that every guy who served in the military is an all-star. We all know that. But the ones that are out there that are showing up to work, that are sitting there trying to, you know, that are running and staying the four hours later or coming in the two hours early or staying on the job, you know, you can see a lot of those guys. And there are a lot of guys out there. And it's the guy who does the repair and then goes and talks to the operator while he's moving the machine and says, are we good? Do you feel good about it? Or may even see something else and say, let me just get this real quick. But harnessing those types of guys to drive to a point where the confidence level is high, the reward and the payback are easily seen. Um, it's really building those guys' knowledge base up and continuing to give them goals, progression goals. You know, nobody wants to work hard and go nowhere, right? Yeah, that's true. And and having the pillars that then make a well-rounded uh, individual leader, the knowledge of the skill, the technical proficiency, the people knowledge too. I mean, in the military, you have a rank and, and hierarchy structure. And I think one of the misconceptions is, well, you were in the military, so you got orders and you had to do what you were told. Well, nobody really orders people around in the military, at least that hasn't been in my experience. If you have to say, Hey, this is a direct order. You you know, there's been some breakdown in the communication already by then the military system, which I grew up in and, and participated in as well was really all influential leadership. I mean, yes, there's a hierarchy and there's a ranking system and you're going to do, what the person above you uh, suggests, right? But there can be, I mean, in high-risk environments, there has to be discussion or somebody is gonna get hurt. Hey, we forgot to do this, or hey, did you think about that? So it's um, it's really interesting. Tim, I wanna be respectful of your time, buddy. I mean, this has been fantastic. We are up on an hour uh, now, and I wanna make sure that um, we first, if we have, need to get back with you in some point of time if that'll be okay because there yeah. were a, a couple of stories that we touched on before when when we first spoke that i think would be interesting to this crowd as well but for for today i want to make sure that if you have any advice first if you have any advice to a service member coming out of the military and transitioning what would be you know words of wisdom there and then maybe you know, after that, we talk about people who are in hiring positions, you know, what, what to look for from vets, but what would, what would be your, your wisdom or your guidance to anybody coming out of the military looking for a job in maintenance and reliability? I mean, so from, would, from what would, you've seen, yeah. I would, I would say, yeah, you know, don't, don't parallel yourself in, in the civilian world. You got to think outside the box. Um, you got to take everything you've ever learned and, and, and really try to, I guess the best 
fashionable way is, is are you capable of taking care of your car? Do you understand when you go and get your tires rotated, when you get your stuff done? Because you know what? That's all reliability. So um, don't count yourself out. Don't don't mm. sit there and cut yourself short. And I can promise you, um, go for what you believe is your passion. And and there's tons of stuff on the internet, you know, with the SMRP and so many organizations out there that you can do and start building yourself, uh, you know, uh, a knowledge base if you if if you find that you're short in some areas. But more importantly is, is don't ever let anyone tell you that you're not cut out for that. Because if it's where you feel like you need to be, then you've already taken the first step by understanding, you know, you got the motivation, you got the, you got the excitement, you got the will to go and, and, and go do it and, and learn it. Um, you know, there's, there's HR managers out there and I think a lot of them are starting to change uh, the way they think. So the service guys got to remember is, Take that leap. Go for it. Don't don't you tell yourself that you're not qualified. They pay people to tell you whether you're qualified or not. No, that's that's fantastic advice. And and there are also people like us out there that are willing to to help. Right. And uh, I mean, look, look at resumes or just talk through it. If if somebody's uh, not sure, because I think one of the most common problems is um, but, 200,000 veterans transition from the service every year find themselves in perhaps not great fits mm-hmm. right out of, right out of the service and leaving after a couple of years and and if that's the case that's the case but there's there a ton of passionate uh, patriotic patriotic people like Tim Harmon here and Eric Bevino that are willing to help and um, and it's interesting you say that Eric because um just in my team and at Allied, I got a command sergeant major. I got a former F-14 pilot retired, right? I got a former nuke submarine guy. I got another guy who was an ELT on nuclear stuff. They're everywhere. And all you got to do is reach out because you're right. Every single one of them would gladly help you help any one of these guys out you know, to get on point them in the right direction. And, and usually when they do, they're probably going to be there when you're full blown and roaring because they make, make a contact and they, they stay with them. Yeah. Be careful what you ask for, right? Cause we'll hold you accountable. We're going to check in with you <laughs> six months from now and see you where you where you're up to. Yeah. Have, that's you, have right. you telling the line there in six months. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> and I guess to your second question, um, the, 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 uh, don't, don't, don't take these guys for what they're, don't go on the internet to these hiring managers and try to find out what an 11 Bravo did. Um, you know, if you want to know what their job plans are, scope, do you know that what they're putting out there for an 11 Bravo or an 0311 or, uh, you know, uh, some field artillery guy is just a fraction of what the military needs them to do, but it doesn't say what they're capable of doing. Mm-hmm. And if you, uh, if you do, t- I, I highly encourage them to, um, to take a shot on these guys, get them in there. I, I don't think you'll be let down. And, uh, and, and more importantly, give them the direction, give them the capability to learn and grow. And uh, because to your point a little bit ago, they are loyal and they will show up and they will work their heart out for you. Uh, that's, that's, that's in our DNA, right? Well, um, and, and you may be saving somebody's life, right? Because, uh, you know, you take a chance on somebody there, you know, we've, we've been through stressful times, some, some people more stressful than others and, and react in different ways. And, you know, if you're given, given somebody a new, uh, a new team, a new tribe to fit in with, with camaraderie and, and teamwork and, and passion that could keep them from potentially sliding off the edge and, and, you know, going into homelessness or, or something even worse. Right. And with these, with these, kids out there a lot of them are kids right coming out that have the fundamentals of leadership that i'm sure every organization uh could use i mean we you know you could be really doing a great service to not only a veteran but to the country most of them are most of them are just wanting to have a purpose 
you know. Um, I got a lot of brothers and sisters out there that I've served with in combat and and they come back to the real world and they just want to make sure that they still have a purpose. Um, so giving them the, the means to be able to demonstrate uh, their value, it uh, goes a long way. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Tim. I really, really appreciate your time here today. The inaugural podcast of Mobius Veteran Connect. So we're we are tied together in the universe, you and me, from now on forever. So that's uh, that's awesome. I, I I would love to have you as a battle buddy going forward, and we'll uh, we'll keep doing this stuff. But uh, thank you so much, Tim. Any any parting words or or final thoughts before we we wrap this up? Well, to everybody listening out there, just uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm uh, I'm 100% helping my brothers and sisters, you know, uh, in any way, shape, or possible. That you know, so uh, look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, I'm with Allied Reliability. Uh, you can probably look me up there, and uh, you know, if don't hesitate to uh, to reach out because. Um, it is a fraternal organization you belong to and and we will make sure that we uh, always take care of our own right on thank you brother we appreciate it appreciate you brother thank you for joining us for this episode of veterans connected we will see you back for another episode very soon in between we hope to see you in the veterans connected community group where you can meet eric and fellow podcast guests and share with other industry veterans at mobiusconnect.com and we hope to see you there